Schools from Eat to Perform. We're unfortunately experiencing some technical difficulties for this for tonight's webinar. Normally, my guest host April would be on the call, but for some reason, Google wasn't allowing her to talk, and we do have her on the webinar. So I'm not really sure if you guys are going to be able to hear this but it's possible that you'll be able to pick it up on my mic. So April, if you want to say hi to everyone. Hi everyone. So what I thought we would talk about tonight is adjusting to your metabolism. There was a few things that, that people talked about. Um, Jenna mentioned it at the um, Eat to Perform Open and then um, Deepak, one of our client, coaching clients, mentioned it on his call so I thought it might be interesting to kind of view how you would adjust to your metabolism and the things that you can do to adjust to your metabolism. Um, do you have any initial thoughts about that topic April? I'll let you begin. I do have some thoughts on it. <laughs> well I think that what would be nice is that you know if you could play devil's advocate Right, um, because I think that you know a little bit of what we did last week with Kim Christensen was you know we were talking about you know two week mini cuts and the reasons why you wouldn't want to do them and I think Kim did a real good job explaining why you know that mentality is sort of what lands people in this area of dysfunction and that's going to be. April's role in this scenario. So I'm really hoping that um, the broadcast will be picked up uh, from that perspective and so it's not too confusing for people. So to give a little background on what we're talking about is if you go to the e perform calculator and you put in all your data, basically what's going to end up happening is you're going to get total daily energy expenditure. And that, in theory, is what you should be eating to thrive as a human being based on the amount of muscle that you have on your body, but also kind of like these underlying factors um, that come into play that ultimately represent your metabolism. So, for instance, if you look at your Fitbit number, or you look at your total daily energy expenditure, um, and you start eating that amount, right, and you're eating, let's say, 1,300, and you go to, say, 2,500, which is what the calculator says, well, it could be a really frustrating process. So that's what we're sort of talking about because for a lot of people, that it makes no sense to them, well, wait a second, if I eat 1,300 calories, how can I potentially eat 2,500 calories without gaining weight? And there's a number of factors there. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bo bit about it related to, you know, kind of, um, you know, the funny thing about metabolic damage is it's actually kind of controversial in the scientific community. A lot of people, you know, um, don't even believe that it exists. Um, they think that there's just sort of a natural process of your, your um, metabolism down-regulating through you know, not eating enough or dieting too often or something of that nature. So things like adrenal fatigue, once again, controversial topics because, you know, um, 
the thought process is is that if you're eating an adequate amount for what you do, that you know this kind of damage wouldn't necessarily happen. We've kind of taken like a neutral stance on that, um, just from the standpoint of what people can do to kind of fix things. But in general, we do sort of side with the the science being kind of um, iffy on it, where um, you know your metabolism is not like this static thing where you know, your metabolism is here. So therefore you're going to have to eat here all the time. I understand the fear, right? But we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, any thoughts on what I'm saying thus far, April? Um, I agree. And, and in regard to like the adrenal fatigue, you know, we take the neutral stance. I do think a lot of people, um, I think it's kind of overdiagnosed in some cases, but I do think it exists in, in special cases. And like what you said with the, you know, with your metabolism, it's never completely steady for anybody. You know, it's, you know, it's always kind of moving up and down, you know, and the, the goal is to, you know, kind of stimulate your metabolism and, and gradually get it up to where it needs, kind of stoke it and get it up to where it needs to be. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, you know, I think the argument that really Mike made in, metabolic flexibility is if you look at you know something like adrenal fatigue whether it exists or doesn't exist um it's not like you're a victim you do have the ability to kind of affect those numbers and obviously if you've been dieting since you were 12 years old then it's you know highly likely that you might have a longer period of recovery and so therefore just patience is going to be required um, now, the interesting thing about what I'm going to be talking about, though, um, in, in the case of what came up with Deepak, is actually the opposite of it, you know, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But I think one of the things that everybody needs to be careful of with their metabolism is they'll say, well, I have a slow metabolism. And it's like, well, you know, what do you do? It's like, well, I'll tell you what to do. You know, if you eat an adequate amount of food and you go to the gym and you constantly get better, you potentially have the ability to affect your metabolism positively. And therefore, you can go from, you know, eating 1,300 calories to 2,500 calories in a short period of time and we show people that are able to do that fairly often. And then, you know, there are people that gain a little bit of weight. Well, I got bad news for you. If you've been dieting, you know, in the wrong way for a long time and too, too aggressively, that's a little bit of the process. But the, the more slow you can go, you know, I had this conversation um, with Jenna at the ET Perform Open because, uh, you know, Jill always makes this argument in the forums that, you know, uh, you know, and I, and I agree with her, by the way, um, is for a lot of people that are sort of like recovering from a bad approach to dieting, the idea isn't to just have them start eating their Fitbit, right? Because, you know, it's not going to help them to gain a bunch of weight. Now, you know, in theory, right? You could go from eating 1,300 to start eating 2,500 calories, gain 15 pounds, and then do it the right way. But it's probably better off from a mental standpoint if you take it gradually, 
And, you know, what that means is, is that if you were eating 1300 and your body naturally wants to, you know, from a scientific standpoint, wants to be at 2500, you're going to want to gradually go from 1300 to 2500. What I think happens for a lot of people, especially people who've lost a lot of weight, you know, let's say you've lost 100 pounds and you just want to get back to normal. You know, and all of a sudden you're reading all this stuff about eat to perform. It's backed by science and and this and that. And you get back to eating normal relatively quickly, and you go from a restricted way of eating to an adequate amount of food. You know, but too quickly, you're going to kind of panic. You know, because if you've already lost say 100 pounds and you gain 10 pounds in let's say a couple weeks um and in fact you know some people can gain weight a lot quicker if they've been so restricted for so long that you know they start adding in salt and they start adding in carbs and all these other things that were kind of on the naughty list now you know it's going to take a while for their body to adjust to metabolizing these new foods, right? Or reintroducing these new foods. Um, any thoughts on what I'm saying up to this point? Um, you know, everything that you're you're saying is pretty much spot on. Um, I just want to add in, I actually, I came from the camp of dieting down and being the typical female who ate anywhere between 12 to 1500 calories for years and thinking that I was broken, that you know, I just couldn't, you know, if right. I considered eating more than 1,500 calories, then I was just going to gain weight and, and this and that. And it was just a vicious cycle. And it actually wasn't until my nutrition studies and, and eat perform and, and everything, you know, all mixed in that I realized just the basic science of it, you know, that, you know, it's it was all the wrong way, you know, that, you know, like what you said, you have to slowly, gradually you know, work up, you know, and, and for me, it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a big eye-opening experience. And I can honestly say that I can never, you know, even contemplate ever going back to 1200 calories ever again. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things that happens for people is they kind of get scared and they want to snuggle back up to that dysfunctional behavior, you know, and, and, you know, one of the arguments that, that I was making, you know, we referenced Jill from the forums. The thing that I always say to Jill is to really, you know, kind of, I agree with her that, you know, some, some people got to go more gradually than others, but they, they always need to be emphasized to continue to push it a little bit, you know, because you're really not going to get to that level of improvement. And, and the, the thing about, all these numbers, whether it be Fitbit numbers, whether it be the e perform calculator or what have you, is they're all estimates. And so even if your Fitbit says 2200, you might be able to be able to stay weight stable at 2600, you know, because what all these, you know, formulas, all these, you know, Fitbits and things of this nature, it's all based on averages of lots and lots of people. And so it can't really account for you. And so therefore there has to be some level of trial and error. The problem is, is like April's saying, if all your trial and error is low, right, 
you never really get to that point of having a thriving metabolism and kind of doing, you know, good things. And, and ultimately what I think it happens is you end up compromising your, your aesthetic goals, you know, um, because there's only so low you can go, um, you know, from a comfort standpoint that maintains an adequate amount of muscle. And that's the argument that we sort of make. And if, if, you know, you're kind of new, to eat the forum, or this is the first time you're listening to this, you're not in the forums, you haven't bought any of our materials, anything like that. Basically, what we walk people through is kind of normalizing their system a good majority of the time and only occasionally um, eating at a deficit. And the nice thing about that approach is that, one, it gives you fat loss both ways. You're going to gain new tissue, like in theory, let's say that you were to stay weight stable and let's say that you were 154 pounds and you were eating, let's say 1300 through some level of carb cycling and working with a need to perform coach, whether it be the forums or whether it be through our group coaching program, what would happen would be is you would gradually work from 1300 to where your body naturally wants to be at 2500. Well, what happens in that process is, you know, if you stay right in that 154 range, is you're going to convert fat tissue from, you're going to convert from fat, fat tissue to um, lean muscle, which is, of course, not, you know, that's, that's basically leaning out or toning or however you want to refer to it, you know, but basically you're building muscle. And so what we see is, is if you've been coming from uh, a restricted background for a long period of time, you know, you've been kind of dealing with deficiencies as it relates to, you know, protein levels, you know, a lot of times low carbohydrate. So it's not allowing for that, that lean tissue turnover when you're working out and you don't get better at working out. Now, all of a sudden you start adding an adequate amount of food, um, you know, one of the people that I was just talking to today, right? What happened was is is they were under eating and then they started eating, their calories went up, you know, I think I think their number was like 1700 and then they ended up going to 2600 and they started losing weight. And one of the reasons why was because they were able to do so much more and their metabolism sort of kicked into gear. And so, you know, for that person um, their athleticism kind of helped their metabolism get revved up, but they might not be dealing with the level of damage that a lot of people have dealt with over time. And so, so these are things that I think that's important to the discussion of adrenal fatigue, metabolic damage, whether they exist, whether they don't exist, really is unimportant. It's really more what's the, what's the mechanism for recovery you know and the simple fact of the matter is some level of trial and error is kind of important to that discussion before i ask you you know your opinion on that i did want to say one other thing um exercise is something that plays a big role in this scenario right and so you know whether we're talking about adrenal fatigue whether we're talking about overtraining whether we're talking about metabolic damage if your body, as it relates to what you do, wants to eat 2,800 calories and you've been eating 1,300 calories, 
what that spread is, is where the dysfunction lies. And so kind of, you know, taking that spread and, and, you know, if you're listening, um, you won't see me, but basically I'm taking my hands and kind of bringing them closer together. So um, basically we take 1300 and try to get up to that, you know, more correct number. Um, and that takes time, depending on how long you've been kind of, you know, doing this deficit. But what I think happens is somebody runs, right? And, you know, like, you know, you know, I hate to keep putting Jenna on the spot here, but, you know, she she's, was mentioning running and how much she learned to love running. And, you know, that's fine. Um, and I would encourage people to, um, you know, do those types of things. But if you look at, you know, you ask a doctor, right? Um, you know, what do I do in this scenario where my metabolism is slowed um, to the point of a crawl? One of the things that they're going to say to you is that, you know, don't build these huge deficits or build these huge holes. And so, you know, they're, while while I would not be one of the people that would say, you know, don't run, I would say have that be part of your trial and error, right? Where your activity level um, is not so extreme, but you're still doing the things that you enjoy because obviously movement's going to be a big piece of this. And then if you can continue to try and kind of push those calorie numbers, um, play with, you know, some level of carb cycling and just kind of see where you fit. The last thing, you know, the, the last, last thing is carbohydrates. Obviously, we all know that carbohydrates have a little bit of a water tax. And so um, if you don't know that, basically, you know, it, you know, for every gram of water you take in, it's going to take somewhere in the neighborhood of about three grams to four grams to process that water. And so that's a little bit of why you feel bloated, stuff like this, right? Um, the more you do, obviously, the more you can kind of deal with that water, um, the more you're able to, you know, have weight training in that process. Sometimes it'll end up netting out as tissue over time. Um, but what I think happens for people that have kind of low carb or low calorie or whatever, they kind of have like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where, you know, they, they're eating low carb and then all of a sudden they, they, they have carbs and it's like, oh my goodness, I gained three pounds. It's like, well, yeah, because, you know, you've not allowed your body to metabolize carbohydrates correctly for a long time. And in fact, you've gone the opposite way where you've caused some level of dysfunction. And so, you know, while we all process carbohydrates a little differently, if you always default to as little as possible for everything, whether it be carbohydrates, whether it be calories, you're really missing some of the magic. Um, so I know I covered a lot of ground there. April, any, anything that you wanted to expound upon? Um, back on the, the adrenal metabolic um, I, I absolutely cannot agree even more. It's like what you were saying, the, if your, your exercise, if your output is 2,800 or your body wants to be at 2,800 and you're at 1,300, you know, the, the issue lies when you're too far in a negative energy balance. It's kind of like, it's kind of like your bank account. You know, if you're constantly spending, 
you know, you're eventually going to go into the red and then there's going to be problems. But if you continue to, to spend even when you're already in the red, you, you kind of have to know that limit and when to deposit more money into the bank. That, yeah, but if you're already in the negative and you continue to withdraw and withdraw, withdraw, you know, eventually you're going to have big issues. But, you know, anyone that has ever, anyone that I've ever worked with who, who actually was seen by a doctor and a, and a doctor um, diagnosed him with adrenal fatigue, the, of course, I'll give them some, some general natural supplements, but the key is always to either train less, eat more, but it's, it's about shortening that, that deficit. It's about getting out of that, you know, that, that red, the negative. So trying to get to some level of balance. Exactly. Exactly. Just trying to find that, that even balance. And um, what you were saying in regards to the low carb, you know, about our bodies naturally retaining more water, you know, which is normal, which is not a bad thing. You know, being, you've talked about this several times, you know, being bloated is not, you know, the end of the world and it's not a bad thing necessarily, but I think a lot of people fall into the trap of the low carb because they remove all the carbohydrates from their diet and then, you know, first week they lose seven pounds and they think it's magic when essentially they're just dehydrating their muscles and losing water. Yeah, and, 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 then, and besides the bloating, um, a hydrated muscle is a more useful muscle, so therefore you can do better things. When I say hydration, though, I think we need to be careful to, you know, a lot of people think, well, if I just drink more water, right, that will hydrate my muscle. Really, the hydration of muscle um, isn't just water-based. It really is some level of salt, some level of carbs, right, um, and then obviously replenishment of glucose. So, you know, that's what we're talking about in terms of having a hydrated muscle rather than just going, oh, you know, if I just drink more water, I'd be fine. Um, not really. I mean, your body's not going to hold on to that water if you don't have an adequate amount of carbohydrates. That's the argument for carbohydrates, actually, um, because they have that, um, that uh, you know, the, the tax that, you know, when you have carbs. I've actually seen people who drink too much water. Um, again, it's about finding the balance there, you know, because too much, too much water will actually, you'll deplete some of the nutrients that your body can absorb and, and things like that. So it, it's always too much of a good thing of everything. So. Yeah, I think, um, so, so kind of to finish off of that point, I think the, the, one of the problems with like this 30-day mentality and flushes and detoxes and things of this nature, it's kind of what you're saying. You know, I mean, if if I were, you know, right now I think I'm 175. Um, I could lose 10 pounds probably within two days um, from a standpoint of water release. Um, but that would leave me, you know, lacking, you know, in a lot of areas like April saying, from a nutrient standpoint, but also from the standpoint of, you know, having the energy to work out um, and essentially being dehydrated. Now, would I look lean? You know, would you be able to see, you know, right now I'm probably rocking more of a four-pack than an eight-pack? You know, I'd probably get to a six-pack, maybe a little bit of an eight-pack. Um, but it wouldn't, it, you know, 
it's this idea of like constantly being at an optimal state of being, you know, as it relates to physique, that is a little bit of the problem, right? You know, I mean, part of, you know, work and, and, and trying to do things you enjoy is having enough energy to do so. And, and it's really not just, you know, for working out, it's really getting throughout the day, you know, feeling energized to, to, you know, do whatever it is you do, you know, whether it be job, whether it be, you know, kids, you know, all these things are, are really important. And so, you know, when you start, you know, eating an adequate amount of food for what you do, it really does change your relationship with a lot of things. You know, when you hear, you know, parents saying, you know, my kids are talking about the fact that, you know, they've got their mom back, you know, or, you know, guys saying, oh my goodness, you know, I never realized that my sex drive was negatively affected by all this bullshit, right? Um, and so, so those are things that I think, you know, need to come into play. The, the other thing I think that we should, we should talk a little bit about though, is the opposite way, right? And so that was a little bit of the conversation I was having with Deepak today, because, you know, obviously we, we've been talking about the wave method and one of the concepts that I wanted to, you know, if, you, if you're not familiar with the wave method, it's a book we sell. We actually have it on sale today. It's the, it's the only time it's ever been on sale and, you know, might be the only time that the general public can actually buy it because the reason why um, we kind of hold it just towards members is because, you know, the information in, in the wrong hands can be kind of abused. And so we wanted to make sure that people had, you know, kind of the right direction. But essentially what you do is you have these three numbers. Okay, you have your high numbers, which represent the days that you work out. You have your middle numbers, which is essentially your rest days. So that's pretty standard eat to perform kind of stuff, right? Then there's this third number. And third number is kind of like this mystery number. And so I wanted to devote like the rest of the podcast to talking about the third number and how you use the third number. So if you're not familiar with the way that, you know, these kinds of things are written, essentially they're written in a way that as your metabolism starts to downregulate, you have to adjust by adjusting your calories downward. And so the, 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 the problem that most people have, like when we first started doing the wave method, you know, people would get their numbers and, you know, let's say it was a guy and, and he got like 2,300, you know, 2,150 and then 1,900 and he'd just go to 1,900 and wouldn't work out all that much. The, the idea is to stay as close to 2,300 with your volume high, you know, especially as it relates to weight training so you can keep muscle through the process. Part of the problem with dieting, especially people who diet too aggressively, is they tend to lose muscle. So for instance, if you go down to 1900, right, what you're essentially doing is sort of what we were talking about in the first part of the podcast, you know, where you're basically just dehydrating your muscle. Um, you're not really doing enough to maintain muscle, so you could potentially lose tissue in that process. And so you want to keep volume as high as possible. Now, some people are going to say, well, Paul, I've heard you guys say, you know, when you're, you know, doing a performance-focused fat loss period, which is, you know, what we refer to these periods as, 
you know, I've heard coaches say take take more rest days, and that is true. But let me explain why that is true. If you know that the volume is important as it relates to maintaining tissue, what happens is if you're working out six days a week and you, you know, you are a, you know, flamethrower, right? And, you know, you can just wad like crazy. You can work out and lift all the weights. Um, now, all of a sudden, you start eating less food. Your recovery is going to be compromised in that process. So in that way, for that person, working out five days a week would allow for a more adequate recovery and would allow for a little bit of cycling so you know we can sort of see some progress in this area any thoughts on what i'm saying because obviously this is something that you know we talk to clients about on a daily basis and sometimes as i'm talking you know you're hearing things and maybe you can fill in a gap that i'm kind of forgetting um i do agree with the level of cycling um i do think if you're just depending upon the person's background in general normally in the beginning of a fat loss um, cycle they can usually get away with with keeping up the, the higher volume for the first couple of weeks two three weeks but after that generally they you know definitely keeping some level of strength training in but you know for example if they're training five days a week drop down to four right. um, allowing incorporating that that cycling in and having the recovery days where you know it could be active recovery but the goal would be to, to kind of reduce the overall stress on your body because if your body's constantly trying to recover, you know, five days a week and you're eating at a deficit, I think it's going to end up causing issues. But what I really wanted to make clear in this scenario is the reason why you're taking one less rest day in that scenario is for recovery, right? Because even though you are eating at a deficit, you you, there's a lot of benefit to volume in this scenario. And so, you know, you want to be working out as close to 100%. Naturally, when you're eating in a deficit, that's not going to be possible, right? I mean, like, the way we recommend it, you know, is, is roughly eight weeks where you're, you know, from an adherence standpoint, you have kind of a, a closed window you're really shooting for a result. What, what we'll often hear from people, though, is, well, I tried the top two numbers, but I never really got to the third number. And the problem that you run into if, you know, like, for instance, let's say that, you know, in the scenario that I was just talking about, the person's at 2,300, 2,150. And then, you know, throughout that process, they lose about 8 to 10 pounds, right? Well, there's no real reason for that person to go to 1900 and make their life suck, right? But if, as an example, you get your initial water weight loss, you know, where you lose three to four pounds, and you're trying to get to, you know, that, you know, eight pound, you know, usually eight, eight to 10 pounds, kind of depends. I mean, like there are clients that could be a little bit more aggressive. I've certainly seen people lose 12 to 15 pounds. That That's normally people with more fat to use. When I say more fat to use, I mean, you know, I'm thinking of a guy at 275 pounds, you know, that, you know, might have come from like an overeating background or something like that. 
Um, but typically, you know, eight pounds is sort of the, the, the goal we're shooting for. So if you're, if you're four weeks in, right, and you've been kind of cycling between the top two numbers and, you know, you're, you're eating more carbohydrates on the days that you're working out and you're eating, you know, fewer carbohydrates on the day that you're resting and your calories are lower, but you're really not seeing any movement. Now we've got to, we've got to, you know, figure that your metabolism has adjusted. And that's, that's sort of what we talked about on the opposite extreme. It's like the 180 degree, 180 degree difference. We're trying to get your metabolism to recover most of the time, right? But in this instance, what we're doing is trying to adjust to a compromised metabolism. And so you start to work out, you're starting to eat less, you're starting to feel it more. The only option at that point is to adjust for a compromised metabolism. Now, you go, well, that sounds like magic, right? I can just keep going lower and lower and lower all the way to zero and then I'll be skinny, you know? That's not how it works. Ultimately, your body's gonna revolt at some point. And so what we're really trying to do sort of get you to that point, you know, because one of the discussions that I was having recently, you know, we were talking about someone, you know, who said that she was recovering from, you know, eating 1,400 calories. Um, and I asked her, you know, how much she's eating right now. And her average was like 2,000. Well, you know, I mean, it's awesome that she's eating 2,000 as opposed to 1,400. But, you know, she was talking about wanting to performance-focused fat loss. I mean, you know, to see results at some point, she probably would have to go relatively low. That's not eat to perform. That's not getting your body to thrive. If we're always, like I said, you know, earlier, if you're always snuggling up to low, you know, you're not going to end up progressing. But if you if you look at the scenario that I'm talking about here, you know, um, where, you know, in the case of a man, but let, let's say even in the case of a, a female, you know, who's normally eating 24 to 2,500 calories and she's, you know, compromised, you know, she's, her, her metabolism is compromised a bit, you know, for her to see some results and, and, and kind of adjust, um, you know, having that 1500 calories on a rest day may make some sense. Um, so it sort of depends on kind of where your numbers are set, but also you got to realize that as you're coming down, your body is adjusting to it and usually adjusting to it fairly quickly. Hold on one second. I just want to shut my Facebook. Otherwise it gets a little crazy up in here. Um, any thoughts on what I'm saying there, April? Um, I just shared your screen. There it goes. Um, no, I agree. And like what you're saying with the scenario of the gal that you were talking to who was eating 1,400 and then she's eating 2,000 and then she wants to do performance focus fat loss, you know, essentially 2,000 calories, she's still in a deficit. So basically, in a big deficit, she, yeah. I mean, yeah, So basically she's, she's already in a deficit, so she's going to have to go into a deeper deficit to even get to, basically she would probably have to go closer to the 1,400 calories or less to be able to see you know, results because she didn't maximize, she really didn't work towards, you know, getting her calories up to, to an appropriate level. Well, actually, you know, 
she was eating 1400 calories and her weight was higher. Um, and so us getting her to 2000 actually brought her weight lower because that's where her body wanted to be. Her daily burn is really closer to 3000. Now she, you know, she's had a little bit of an injury situation. And so her calories are a little bit lower naturally right now, but you know, it's really important to talk about recovery, but I think it's really important to talk about the other side of things too, because, you know, when you think about, you know, how long you ate at 1200 or 1300 calories, or even eating like in an intuitive way, right? Where you were under eating, whether that be paleo, or mostly whole foods or whatever, what I'm talking about is a scenario is that in literally four to five weeks, your body adjusts to a point where you have to go lower to see a result. Then you go, wait a second, what would happen if I'd eaten like this for, you know, a good majority of my life? Yeah, that's how, you know, thyroid issues happen. That's why your muscle protein turnover gets compromised. Your body doesn't exist well in that state you know um and so you know while while yes um if you're looking to see a result you know that third number is there but what i see a lot of people wanting to do especially early on thinking that well you know the more the deficit the better the problem is is it's like using your trump card too early you know, you really want to stay at those top two numbers as long as you can see a result. You know, the problem that people run into, they're like, well, I'm seeing a result. You know, wouldn't I see a better result? Well, that's not always the case because, you know, your volume is going to be compromised. Your sleep could be compromised, fatigue level throughout the day. So all these things become kind of net negatives. But I did want to really make the point that, you know, when you're starting to play with your metabolism a little bit, you know, you really don't want to be, you know, too low for too long. And that's why we kind of set things up to where the majority of the time you're not dieting, right? Um, and so I hope that kind of makes sense. Um, any thoughts um, on... What? This actually, this topic actually comes up a lot. Kim was was asking me my thoughts on, um, we're talking about the wave method. What are your thoughts on the um, the high day? And then I'll tell you what my thoughts are. Like so from basically, what, from what? Why don't you tell me your thoughts and then I can respond. <laughs> I want to know your thoughts first. The, I don't know what you're talking day, about. The refeed day. Um, oh know, yeah yeah yeah. What are my thoughts on it? Yes. My thoughts on it is it's basically set up to upregulate your metabolism from being downregulated. And so, you know, I know that, you know, from your standpoint, um, you know, I've, I've heard you've suggested to some people to have kind of a more gradual way so that, you know, there's not this big up and down. Um, I do sort of disagree with that. You know, I think that it is person dependent. And so one person might see a result going your way. Another person might see it my, my way. 
I would say that, you know, my way is similar to, you know, what's been kind of done forever, where um, if your metabolism's being compromised, you have kind of a refeed day to upregulate your metabolism, and that's the whole role of having kind of the way plus days. Um, no, I, I absolutely do agree with that. Um, I, I do agree with the, um, with the high day to upregulate hormones. I've never disagreed with that. I was just talking about, I do, I do think on the topic of it that, um, and I think we've touched on this before, just in regards to the, um, the one, the one size doesn't fit all. I do think that right. someone with more fat to use that has a higher burn would generally need the TDEE or the burn plus 500. But I think smaller individuals like some females, I think that sometimes that, that basically the TDEE plus day eats up some of their deficit throughout the week. Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think that, you know, that we're talking about an average, right? And so, you know, that was actually one of the things I was going to mention to you in this process. You know, when I've done you know, periods where I've had refeeds and stuff like this, right? You know, you can get to a point where it's kind of like you're netting out to zero. And that's where kind of having some level of food logging does help. You know, I think the tendency, um, you know, what you'll often see when people are very aggressive, low carbing or low calorie or whatever it is, and then they'll have like these, you know, cheat days where, you know, they're eating all kinds of food. Basically, the deficits that they're creating, you know, are really more like seven, 8,000 calorie deficits during the week. And so virtually anything that they would eat on any one given night or something like that certainly isn't going to equal 8,000 calories, right? So, so they end up netting out to a pound or pound and a half loss a week. The problem that you run into in our scenario, right, is most of our deficits are set up between 500 and 700 calories. So now all of a sudden, you know, you're at a 700 calorie deficit for seven days, you know, at 4,900 calories. And then you go eat a 2,000 calorie pizza and you have a bottle of wine, right? you can eat into that deficit in a big way. And so the key is to find, you know, we actually talked about it in the coaches course. And if you listen to the podcast, I thought it was a really good one. Um, Jeff Gervitz talked about the minimum enjoyment standard. And I think the minimum enjoyment standard, you know, really applies to wave plus days, you know, is you want to enjoy your food, you want to eat enough to kind of stimulate your metabolism so you're not really kind of into the, in you know in this hungry mode all the time um, but you don't want to go so much where you're always netting out to zero right and i think that a lot of the people that have struggled you know i mean let's face it when you start doing eat to perform it becomes addictive. You start liking working out again. You sleep better. You're having more sex. All these things are net, a positive, right? But now all of a sudden you go, well, you know, I would like to have an aesthetic as well. You know, 
the problem with these wave plus days is that you can overdo them. And so you have to kind of, you know, feel this out. And, and what's interesting about performance-focused fat loss periods that I think is that people are starting to figure out now that we were never talking about like solving a lifetime of issues in eight weeks. And so what we're seeing is, is, you know, some people that, you know, performance focused fat loss, you know, nine months ago are doing it again and going, I learned so much from that last time. These are the mistakes that I made and these are the mistakes I won't need to make again. Um, but what, uh, I mean, Expound upon what you were saying, because I think that that no, we're 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 actually on the on the exact exact same page. <laughs> That's all. You had not mentioned the hot the the reefy day, um, but I actually I, I strongly agree with you. I think we're on the same page. Um, I think a lot of people will they kind of tend to go a little crazy on that day and and try to go by the you know maybe there's a guideline of you know you're you're trying to eat you know your wave plus or your TDE plus, you know, and they, they kind of go crazy and they essentially they're just eating up their deficit. Um, I do see a lot of people like what you were saying, they tried it before and then they, they started eating an adequate amount and they realize how much better that they feel that once they start doing it, a lot of people are bailing. They're like, you know, screw this. I feel so much better. The, the other way I feel better working out and, you know, and, and eating an appropriate amount, you know, it's, which I it's think I think is awesome. And I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of it. That's, that's what I do. I think you can also address some of this in with volume, you know, um, that, that people tend to look at the deficit, but you know, you can, you can really address things, um, from the standpoint of volume as well. Uh, but I think that sometimes you can use that as a bit of a crutch, right? Because, you know, on the one hand, you want to have aesthetic goals, but then all of a sudden you start to feel good. Your workouts are better. I still think that people kind of need to stick to the plan. You know, like if your goal was fat loss, even though you enjoyed all these things, you know, we're talking about eight weeks, you know, and one of the nice things about eight weeks, if you've already done the work to get your metabolism rolling, see the process out, you know. And, you know, it doesn't just have the value of losing weight. Um, some of the value is also, um, you know, regaining insulin sensitivity. Um, obviously, you know, when we start talking about having carbohydrates, things of this nature, when you start lowering weight, start having less carbohydrates, things of that nature, your body then becomes more sensitized to it. And so when you start to reintroduce food again, um, your body's able to handle it a little bit better. So I think that there's always an argument for a period of kind of cleaning out, you know, where, you know, we're not talking about these huge, huge deficits, but you're doing enough to kind of, um, you know, have your body and system work in an efficient manner. Um, so one of the questions that was sort of brought up was, you know, what if I continue to gain weight and what if that is very hard for me mentally? I think that, you know, 
it's kind of interesting because on the one hand, you know, you can kind of get to the point where like your your body is relatively inefficient and, and you just want to be normal, right? And so you start eating to perform, you go to Cheesecake Factory, you have 2,000 calorie, you know, cheesecake, maybe you didn't eat it all, but whatever. You look at the scale, you're up five pounds. Oh, wow, that sucks. And then, you know, you're doing your workouts and things of this nature and, you know, it's the weight is kind of sticking there. Um, but you're, you're trying to eat to perform. You're trying to get your metabolism kicking. I think that, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, you have to realize what you've done, you know, to get to this point. You know, I mean, we were literally just talking about a scenario where someone basically dieted for four to five weeks and then their, you know, metabolism was compromised to the point where they had to go lower. If you were doing that for 15 to 20 years, you know, part of your body healing is that weight gain, right? And it is going to be kind of, you know, changing your way of thinking. Like as an example, when we were talking to Jenna, um, this week, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm watching her lift weights and, you know, it was just one of these like really cool moments because, you know, I don't think that she knew the tool that she had there, right? Because, you know, when we talk in Metflex about, you know, what you can do to kind of get your metabolism rolling, you know. Usually when someone is 30 to 36% body fat, it's normally a muscle problem and not, you know, and not a, not a fat problem per se. So if you're running and you're not using that tool, which is basically weight training, I mean, like, seriously, like April, she had like great form. She was one of the strongest people there. Um, and you know, I was just talking to her and I just felt like, you know, this is a tool she doesn't use normally, you know, um, to that extent. I think the other thing too is that if we were having an honest conversation that, you know, most of the people that are gaining weight, they're not gaining a lot of weight. They're gaining, you know, five pounds, you know, maybe eight pounds, something of that nature. I think that that's normal as it relates to dysfunction, even sometimes up to 10, 15 pounds. It just depends on, you know, um, it, 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 you know, I don't want to get too sciencey, you know, in the whole process, but basically what we're really talking about is set point, right? And set point theory, you know, works like this. You know, you, you have kind of where your body wants to be, and then you sort of have where um, your low set point is. If you've kind of stayed at your low set point a lot of your life, a lot of the times you're looking at some dysfunction as it relates to the thyroid. You're looking at some, you know, um, you may have some underlying conditions that, you know, cause problems, you know, for you. Most of the healing, like April was saying, when you would go to a doctor, the prescription that they're going to give you isn't more running, isn't more, you know, dieting. They're usually going to give you you know, you need to need an adequate amount of do um, amount for what you do, 
Um, and you have to sort of realize that, you know, that weight is a little bit of the process, you know. Um, but how do you not continue to, to gain weight? I don't, I don't know, you know. Eventually, eventually, because I just want to touch on this, eventually your body will, will level off and your, your body, you, you won't just, if you just continue to gain, 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 you know, obviously at some point you, you have to stop and, and look at how much you're eating, you know, to, to be blunt about it. But for someone like me, I actually, when I, when I decided, okay, I need, need to eat more, I did not reverse diet. I just started eating more and I gained about 15 pounds, 15 pounds over the course of a couple of months, but then it stopped, it leveled off. You know, it leveled off. I stopped gaining, and then I just continued to eat those higher calories. My weight was stable, and I continued that for a period of almost a year. And then I was able to diet and and drop the 15 pounds plus two more on a much higher calorie standpoint. You know, but I did not reverse diet. So you know, I think that's that's why we give people the the graduated approach to gradually work into it. I am actually in the, the same camp as Jill where, you know, just gradually working them up. But I do also agree with you that at some point, you know, they have to be continuing it. to work on increasing. Well, see, yeah, he, here, so here's the problem. Okay. And so this is, you know, I mean, I've wanted to get Jill on this um, podcast for a long time, but I'll talk, you know, um, I'll, I'll say what I've said to Jill privately. She has said to me, you know, does that mean that they don't get to performance-focused fat loss? And my response is absolutely. You don't get to take a cautious approach and then also, you know, I mean, we're not here to cause you more dysfunction, right? So, yeah, the little bit of the answer to the question to you know about gaining weight is you can do it in a more patient approach you know if you were at 1300 you know we can add 50 calories we could add 20 calories you know as long as you want to go the more patient approach but the problem isn't the problem isn't the patients the problem is is they want to get to where you were talking about where you gain the 15 pounds so they could diet. They don't want to gain the 15 pounds, but they want to diet, right? And so you got to pick, you know, you either want patience or you want recovery, you know? And with patience, you can have recovery. I mean, if you spent the good majority of your life, you know, and I think like, you know, in, in the one scenario we were talking about this weekend, you know, we were talking about 36% body fat. I mean, 36% body fat is not, you know, unhealthy as long as you're an active individual, right? So if you knew that, then you could go, well, all right, um, I wonder how I could go from 36 to 30. You know, the problem is, is that if you want to go from 36 to 18, now we got real problems. But if you wanted to go from 36 to 33, well, that's easy. You know, let's design a workout protocol. You know, one of the problems that you run into, okay, for me, I like weightlifting, okay? I don't like running as much, 
But do I run? Absolutely. Why? Because it fits my protocol, fits my plan. So if you like running, right, you might need some weightlifting because that's what's going to get you to where you want to go. We can't talk about healing a metabolism without having some discussion about retaining muscle, right? When you go to, you know, the University of Minnesota, get your body fat tested, what are they testing? They're testing the amount of muscle that you have on your frame. And so if we can address those deficiencies, you know, what I think happens for a lot of people, we actually did have, like, Barb asked, asked a question, and, you know, we don't really get into too many questions, but we had enough time today. How do you know when you reach the ideal caloric intake for your body and performance that there's no Fitbit or heart rate monitor involved? Well, basically what you do is you take where you're currently eating and then you gradually add food. And, you know, one of the best ways to do it, especially, you know, I think for guys, they can usually get away with about a week. For women, it's usually about a month. What you would want to do is you'd want to, you know, if you were eating 1,300 calories, you know, you work your way up to 1,500, you, you know, check your weight, average, you know, over the course of, um, you know, 30 days, you know, and let's say that you went from 1,300 to 1,500 in the course of that month, but you stay relatively weight stable, well, okay, now it's time to, time to move up, right? And so now we go to 1,700. Are we weight stable? Yes, we are weight stable. Okay, good. Let's go to 1900, right? So that's how you can figure it out without having a Fitbit or without having a heart rate monitor. And what's interesting about that is, is that that's actually the more accurate way of doing it. Because even in the case of Fitbit, like we were talking about, what that really is, is going to be, you know, averages for a lot of people similar to you, but it's not gonna be your specific thing. So the scenario that I just described is actually a better way of doing it. Um, but, you know, once again, we sort of run into the problem, well, I don't like to weigh myself. I don't like to do all these things. You know, the problem with data is not the problem with data. It's the problem with the expectation of what the data says. And so when we're looking at some level of overall recovery, you know, what we have to be looking at is, you know, what are my numbers? And if you don't know those things, you know, I mean, it's hard to like speak, you know, to a specific, but, you know, if you're seeing weight gain, there's something happening and there is an answer as it relates to data. It's it's incumbent upon us to figure out what that answer is, obviously, right? Um, us being, you know, the individuals and you kind of view yourself as a scientist. Um, so I hope that's helpful. But, but you know, in terms of Barbara's question, I, I actually, you know, as much as I like the Fitbit and as much as I like the fact that as a group, we've all adopted that and, and that's become kind of an important part of the process. I think what, you know, I'd really like to see is, you know, more trial and error, you know, and really making the case for more trial and error because, you know, um, one of the things that I, I wrote, you know, I, I've been kind of signing these books um, 
over the last you know week and it's taken forever i'm only i've only got about a hundred of them done so far because i mean like here hold on one second let me show you why i've only got a hundred so this is going to make for like the worst podcast ever <laughs> but, but like, if you look at how much I'm writing, you know, and people go, well, you know, you shouldn't write that much. Um, I got to tell you guys, you know, I feel like, you know, it's such a privilege for people to listen to what we talk about, right? And so to write kind of a personal message like that, you know, for 400 people or whatever. Um, actually, uh, I think I think we limited it to 200, but we ended up um, having about 100 extra books, so we ended up opening up more sales. So it's been almost 300 that we've had to sign. And you know, I just feel like I don't know. I like I like the personal messages, even though it's going to take a little bit longer to do. Um, but but one of the personal messages mean so much more than just the generic same thing over and over again. Well, I think when the person reads it, they feel, you know, like, wow, this guy really took the time. What they don't realize is it from my standpoint, you know, from my standpoint is I know something you don't know. And so if I can impart one little thing on each reader that helps them kind of move to another level, you know, the way that people did for me, I feel like, you know, that that's, that's an honor, you know, and it's a, it's a good thing. And it's something that, that, you know, I want people to, to know that it's important to me. And um, so I can't remember exactly what I was going to talk about because I, I, I was, talking about the message um, on one of these things. But um, anyway, all right, you guys, um, I think we're going to shut it down there, but I appreciate everybody listening. I actually hope this was sort of helpful because I think that, you know, what happens is we sort of think of our metabolism as static. And like I was saying to Barbara, you know, there is some level of, oh, I know what I was, I was talking about trial and error. So, the problem with trial and error is if you look at the way that most people diet, okay, they diet in a very rigid way and they don't have room for error. And so when you do error, right, and you do ultimately cave and have a Snickers, what's the first thing that those people say? Well, it was that Snickers that did you in, you know, and then you start eating the Snickers because usually it's not the Snickers, right? It's the 42 other Snickers after that that causes the real issue. But it wasn't the fact that you ate 42 Snickers after that. It was the fact that you had these rails, this very rigid system that caused you to ultimately feel like, well, screw it now, I ate that Snickers, and now everything's ruined, so it must be time for me to eat 42 Snickers. The way that we think with Eat to Reform is that there are no rails, there's no real rigid system. And so if you look at it from the standpoint of a really rigid system, 
you know, we probably should have led with this. Most people aren't even going to hear this part. Um, but in a rigid system, the only way to win is succeed your way is to succeed your way to the top, right? And how often in life have you succeeded your way to the top? Almost never, right? It's almost always the failure that teaches you the lessons that allow you to achieve, you know, greater success down the road. And so this idea that my willpower or I should have been more rigid and that would have been the final thing, that's what diets count on for you to rebuy their diet. It's sort of their business model. As long as you're failing, they've got a great business model, right? Um, but when you look at how we are as human beings, it's actually the failure that allows you to get to the level of success that, you know, which is crazy to me, right? Because when you think about why, you know, like, I mean, I had, I had, uh, you know, a friend of mine say to me, you know, nothing works for me like Weight Watchers. Well, if it really worked for you, you wouldn't need Weight Watchers anymore. You know, the fact that you've needed Weight Watchers seven times should tell you Weight Watchers ain't working for you, you know. Um, but people don't think like that. They think, I failed Weight Watchers. No, Weight Watchers failed you. You know, Whole30 failed you, you know. It's the fact that you created this rigid system where you could never fail that all of a sudden, like, you know, you know, your willpower is bad. I mean, some of the studies that Tracy Mann's done at the Eating Lab at the University of Minnesota – Dieters have the most willpower of virtually anyone on the planet. They've done studies on this over and over again. So it's not willpower that's causing people to have this level of function. And, and if you think about it, you know, from a scientific standpoint, if your metabolism is being compromised all the way down, right, and you're doing it in an uninformed way. When you think about Eat the Perform and you think of the magic of what Eat the Perform does is when you aren't dieting, you're doing so with some level of knowledge. And you're working your metabolism to a point of thriving, right? So that, that's a good thing. What happens with, you know, when you're, you're dieting, you know, Kim Christensen talked about this in last week's podcast, and, and if you've never heard this saying, it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard. The first person I'd ever heard say this was Amber Rogers. Um, when somebody asked her, you know, how she, you know, got, got to the point of being obese in the first place, she said she dieted her way to obesity. What Kim was saying, what Amber was saying, what I've said in the past is that an uninformed way of not dieting or an uninformed way where you're too restrictive when you do diet because you want to just pull off the Band-Aid all at once, right? And you want to just starve yourself into being normal. You don't end up landing there, right? You end up landing, you know, eating 42 Snickers because, you know, you failed this rigid system. You had this willpower for such a long time. And then you had that Snickers and then all of a sudden 42 Snickers, you know? But, you know, if you had a more informed approach on the time where you, you weren't dieting, right, 
And then the periods where you had a deficit weren't as extreme as it was previously. You would be building lean tissue throughout that process. You'd be holding on to lean tissue throughout the rest of the process, and you'd actually be burning fat, which, you know, whenever you see somebody, well, you know, Marge lost 30 pounds. Yeah, well, Marge lost about 16, 17 pounds of muscle in that scenario. That's why, you know, Marge looks like, like a skin coat rack. You know what I mean? Um, most of these people don't look, you know, they, they just look like a smaller version of what they looked previously. They don't look lean. They don't look fit. You know, I know when when I lost a lot of my weight, you know, in an uninformed way, you know, back in, I think, 2006, I mean, I had friends asking me if I was sick, you know. And so, you know, you want to be – you know, that, you know, once again, I mean, these, these books, you know, um, in writing these messages, you know, I, I remember people asked me like, like early on, like, what would you have done differently? And it always surprised people when I said the thing that I would have done differently is I would have done it slower, you know? And because if I did it slower, I would have been able to keep more muscle, you know, but you only know what you know when you know it, you know? And so, if you're recovering from a bad approach to dieting, you know, don't use that as a crutch. Don't use that as, you know, I'm a victim. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you're not broken. You can be fixed. And even if you can't be fixed, you should be working to be fixed. You should be trying to figure out every opportunity that you could. You know, don't fall to medication. Certainly, if you need medication, take it. But always look for the alternative that allows you to be, you know, a more, you know, whole human being. So I know April's like, hey, I got to put my kids to bed here. But uh, I, I just thought that that last part needed to be said. So I appreciate it, everybody listening. And there's already been a bunch of people that are like, yeah, yeah, dude, you've gone too far. So I'm going to shut this down. I appreciate everybody being here. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.